Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Episode 18, a conversation with Felix Kremer, General Director of Kunstpalast Düsseldorf. The talk was recorded October 1st, 2020. Hello, dear Felix. Very nice to have you. Right now, you're the General Director of the Kunstpalast in Düsseldorf before you were curator at the Stille Museum in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. and uh, on other positions um, like in Hamburg. I would like to start, before we start uh, talking about your plans and your visions for the Kunstpalast, I would like to ask you about where you're coming from. Your father was a photographer and he started his career at the Rheinische Post in Düsseldorf. So how did this influence you that your father first of all was a photographer and secondly did this kind of like make your relationship to Düsseldorf closer or doesn't it matter at all? Hmm. So yeah it is, you're right my father was a photographer and uh, he started his career in Düsseldorf um, but that's uh, half a century ago so okay. speaking of the or even more than half a century. We're speaking of the 60s. So when I, I was born you know, and I grew up in, in Hamburg, in north, of, north of Germany, where he then worked for the Stern magazine oh. um, as a photographer. Dusseldorf played a role for us because we visited the grandparents. At that time, they were alive. So Dusseldorf was a place where we went for yeah, a long weekend or Uh, short holidays mm-hmm. or something okay. like that. So I had a very kind of child perspective concerning the city. And my father, he was very interested in, in art. So he took me to yeah, museums. So I, I knew before I came to Düsseldorf, I, ha- I have childhood memories mm-hmm. visiting uh, art museums in, in Düsseldorf. But my father was very fond of the city um, because he spent his, yeah, his youth here He started his career he, here and in fact he, uh, he took photos of nearly all the important artists which were here at that time. So oh, mm-hmm. he knew quite well uh, Günther Uecker, he took photos of Gerd uh, Richter, um, at that time was still called Gerd, mm-hmm. and, and um, many many of Blinky Palermo and all the others. It's in a way he He died 1999, so it's a shame. He doesn't, he doesn't know that I'm, I'm here and it's not possible, kind of, mm-hmm. wasn't to, to speak about his experience in the city. So you already were quite familiar with the scene, at least of the 60s and 70s, even without being here in a way. In, in a way, yes, but he didn't, uh, he didn't speak a lot about that. In fact, I really know it just from the photos. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I mean, yeah. By discovering a lot of these photos um, and they come up again and again and there's a lot of people come up to me in the city here and tell me about my father, although it's ages ago. Oh. He's still, for some people he's, uh, in the art scene, he's, he's still quite present. So he left an impression. Yes. Uh, Yes, he did. And all, all, obviously also on your mind. Yes. Was it clear to you from the beginning that you would pursue a career in the arts? I think, yeah, in a way, yes. Mentioning my father, my mother was a ballet dancer. So we had in the family, Ooh. we've got kind of music and, and the arts in a broader sense. And I have no talent in dancing <laughs> or music. Oh, really not? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, so this interest in, in pictures, really, in, in the visual, I inherited that from my father. And I think what was important for me was that uh, every Thursday we had the Stern magazine at home. It was published. And at that time, the Stern magazine was, that was the yeah, reference, visual reference of journalism and, and picture making. And we did something like, it's called Heftkritik. So you had the, you looked at the magazine in a critical way. And mm -hmm. the, the question my father uh, asked me, why does this photo work? What's wrong with, with this page? And we did that really very often. And I can't really remember if I thought that was a great thing to do, but we just did it. Mm -hmm. and, and looking back, I, I think that was really, for me, very, very important because by looking at photos and trying to um, analyze them and the structure and why is one photo makes a difference mm -hmm. and why, why do you respond to certain things and you don't respond to other things and how is it built? Things like that. Right from the start, I, I, I know kind of that you can analyze seeing that the seeing mm -hmm. is always interpretation. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very, very thankful for this experience. Yeah, because that really is probably something you don't learn in the study of art history. You, you learn it more from a scientific point of view, but rather not from a visual point of view. So that might have been something very important to learn how to look at images, because you can apply those rules probably also to painting and other images. Yeah, it doesn't really make any difference if it's a photo or painting or installation or sculpture. I think that's maybe sculpture and installation that, of course, there are differences. But painting or photo or graphic works, the two-dimensional, um, that, that works, I think, very, very similar. And um, by, by starting doing that in a very young age, I think it always has been there looking at paintings or looking at, at images. Mm -hmm. So for you... It really also in interpretation, it doesn't matter if it's a press photo, if it's something which is considered to be art photography, or if it is classical art, like, like a painting. No, I, I, I never was interested in this question, what is art? Mm -hmm. um, since today, I haven't heard anyone giving me an explanation which, which really works. So for me, it's always just the question, is it a good photo? Is it a good image? Is it good? And does, does it make a difference for me? And I think that that's the crucial thing. Do you ever consider the intention then with uh, which something was made, made be like a press photo or made be like a portrait painting or an abstract painting? What, what could have been the intention? Yes, of course. I think it's, um, that's part of the interpretation of mm -hmm. the work. That's, um, but you, there are many, many aspects to it, uh, which the, the story behind the work, which mm -hmm. is, uh, but the story behind the work can be, uh, for press photo can be fascinating and it can be fascinating for portrait, classical portrait. Mm -hmm. um, but I, th I think it's just as an art historian, it is important to be curious and to work on that and try to tell the story behind it. And, um, but I think it's not our um, tasks to tell some, someone, oh, this is art. Looking back in history shows that it doesn't really, it's not possible. 
so Felix, you're coming from the background of photography, obviously, you sort of like you were shaped uh, by photography and you were able to have the city of Düsseldorf buy a very important photographic collection, uh, the Kicken collection, which is now discussed very controversially. Can you tell me why you exactly decided to buy that collection for the museum? I think it was important by looking at the, the body of the collection of the museum, it was it's kind of obvious that there was one aspect missing and that was photography. Dusseldorf being located between Essen and Cologne, where you've got very, very strong photo collections and Dusseldorf as a city where photography played in the arts, played an important role. I think it's a huge need that this city is able To, to have a photo collection. And of mm -hmm. course, I'm not naive. I'm, I knew and I, that you can't, what was possible in Cologne and Essen, they, they collected for the last, I don't know, 50 years, something like that, photography. There, there's a huge gap and there, there will stay a huge gap. But we had the chance to acquire the gallery collection of, of Kicken, the so-called Bestands collection. And the city, I think, did the right decision. Mm -hmm. And they, they bought over 3,000 historic photos. And now you're totally right, but there are some critics and, and not many, but very loud. But if you look at the critics carefully and ask yourself what could be their motives, then it becomes rather clear that most of them are art dealers or collectors connected to, to these art dealers. I, I think it's, if you do acquire and, and if you spend in that case, eight million, it's, it's, it's rather, it's not a big surprise that there will be kind of positive uh, when the collection was bought, the, the, the press was kind of very, very positive. And now there's a period where the, the, the critics are speaking out mm -hmm. loudly. Mm -hmm. So what is the special quality of that collection? Why did you acquire it? I, I mean, the, the fascinating thing about this collection is that it's, um, it's very broad. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a perfect base to build up and to, to continue collecting photography. Mm -hmm. But, but if, if you haven't got a base... It is very difficult. You can't just by buying here a photo and that photo. and it, you, you won't be able to have a proper photo collection. So you need, you need a body to start. And this was really, in my point of view, historic chance. And I'm, I'm very happy that Dusseldorf was so, so brave and, um, and willing and positive to fill this gap. And I th I'm pretty sure that in a couple of years, only the positive aspects will, will be present. And let, let me say that as well. If you look at other uh, large acquisitions from the past, there always has, have been debates. We don't, you can look that easily up in, in press archives. There were always articles written. And so it, it is part of it. And... A lot of the acquisitions, um, the museums are very proud today, were heavily debated in that time. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, also because this so-called canon is always extended. It changes through history, it changes through time, it changes through interpretation. Yes. So, um, yeah, and so you're living now in the presence and you have to give the present interpretation of things. Yes, and I, I think looking back in, in art history, I think it's rather um, fascinating that in each generation there were debates on what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think, um, or I doubted that we are wiser than, than, than the people in the past. Why should we be? So we are making um, mistakes and mm -hmm. misjudgments. And, and I think in, in the future, people will tell us, oh, why haven't you seen such and such? I'm always a bit frightened or, uh, or irritated if people, if especially art historians, are so sure about things, uh, what is right and wrong, to tell other people they, they should exhibit or something is not worth exhibiting. And um, I, th I think that might <laughs> come back as a boomerang in a couple of years. Coming back to sort of your, like the way your, which is always like a personal and also a career way. How did you continue? You, did you know from the beginning you wanted to um, work in a museum or was it a, like a more open call? No, I started um, with, uh, I started law with law. Oh, he started with law. I didn't know yes. that. I, I did uh, two or a year. Um, and I, but I realized then um, that it doesn't work. Um, because <laughs> I had at that time, I had the idea the, the, with law, you can do everything. Oh, yeah, which is kind of true, probably. Yes, you can do everything. So I thought, oh, that's a good thing. I'm interested in society. And um, then I can do something with art and have a kind of a stable basis. Mm -hmm. But I realized after a year that it doesn't work. And I'll then, as a lawyer, they will, I will be <laughs> maybe well paid. But at the end, they will hire me to do the contracts and do mm. the, so I, I'm not going, I'm, I'm going to be close to the art. I thought that would, it would go in that direction that I'm, I'm just standing next to it and not working with it. Mm -hmm. So after a year, then I stopped, stopped that and started art history. And um, it was really nice that my parents then was, to they were totally relieved but I started law because I think I thought oh, I can do a living, I can make a living mm. with, with that. And so, um, and then I, I swapped to art history. And, and I, at that point, I knew I wanted to work in a museum. Mm -hmm. And in the first, in even in the first yeah, year, I applied for an um, internship. And in Hamburg at the museums, and they told me, oh, just relax and take your time, come back when you are a bit further in, in your studies. And the only museum which said, okay, you're welcome, although you haven't got a clue, um, <laughs> they, that was the Kunsthalle Rostock. And so in the early 90s, I think it was 92 or something like that, I went to, uh, to the Kunsthalle Rostock for an internship and, and started, and in fact, I had my first, as a student then, my first job, uh, half a year later in the Kunsthalle Rostock. And the good thing about a small institution like that is that you, even as an intern, you did everything. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I spoke to, I did guided tours, I did interviews with journalists, I did 
I did every, really everything. Um, I'm packing the works, cleaning the works, positioning the works. And um, that was really, was ideal. And after that, I, I was absolute certain. I, I want to, one day I want to work in a museum as a curator. Mm -hmm. Because that's really a perfect start also for your job now, because you really know where, how art is handled, where it does come from, how to install an exhibition. This is something other people never learn in their career if they start on another, in like, for example, in a big institution where you can just work in a niche. Yes, yeah. So um, I wouldn't say I know how to install, but I, I experienced it. It was mm -hmm. very uh, <laughs> hands-on at that time. <laughs> and, and then I had the, the I was very lucky um, because I had a student job for an independent curator mm -hmm. who worked for international museums. And that financed my university oh. um, studies. So I, I had, right from the start, that was first, even, I think, in the first year, I, I always had kind of a foot in the museum mm -hmm. and at university. So I was lucky. I was lucky. Mm -hmm. Then you went on to the still, you became a curator. Now you're the general director uh, of Kunstpalast. And what is exactly the difference for you between being a curator and being the general director of a, a large museum? That's a huge, huge difference. Um, and as I said earlier on, I always wanted to be a curator. Mm -hmm. So that, that was my aim. I, I never said I want to be a director. But working in that job for, I think, 15 years, I had the feeling I have done every kind of different exhibition I could have done. I did really? large ones, I did blockbusters, I did smaller ones, I did with uh, well-known artists, with not well-known artists. And I had this moment when I prepared the Bonnard Matisse exhibition And I wasn't nervous at all. And I, the, the day um, before the opening, I slept perfectly well. Oh, bad sign. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, I thought, this is kind of, if, if you, if a dream, dream comes true, like working, Bonnard is one of my heroes. Mm -hmm. um, and working, you, you, you did your PhD on, on Bonnard. Now you've got these paintings, which you, you traveled to them years and years. And now you've got these paintings here, standing in front of you. Mm -hmm. And you're not nervous at all. Um, so I thought, um, I have to do something. I have to kind of take a next step. And the director, the, the, the daily routine is very different. But I think what the idea, the general idea, what I got with being the director is... Now I'm, I'm not curating the exhibitions, but in a way I'm curating a museum. Mm. And I worked for 10 years together with Max Hollein at the Stelo Museum. Mm -hmm. And when he left, it was kind of clear that um, there, there is, it's a new chapter. So I, I had to uh, look around and um, I decided then for, for Düsseldorf and Düsseldorf and the Kunstpalast decided for me that um, but that was not the, um, I think it was a surprise for s some people because they thought that I would just kind of be more in a Städel-like institution mm -hmm. with um, strong beholdings in classical art and a modern art. And mm -hmm. the Kunstpalast is a, is a rather kind of interesting institution because the 
collection is very uneven and we have really everything and nothing in a way and um, and the institution was um, in the last years the focus of the institution was own mainly not always but mainly uh, on the special exhibitions so you mm -hmm. have the feeling it's more like a Kunsthalle and not mm -hmm. as a museum and through the public private partnership with Aeon they spent a lot and lot of money uh, they gave this institution um, and but it was very kind of clear that um, this institution is um, very close to Aeon so the institution itself wasn't um, regarded in the city kind of as the municipal museum mm -hmm. a lot of people was kind of surprised that this museum belongs to the city and mm -hmm. is part of the city and that um, the people in the city should feel responsible for this institution mm -hmm. because a lot of people thought okay but Aeon is care taking care why, why should I involve mm -hmm. uh, myself and coming from the Städel Museum, where in Frankfurt, people, if they speak about the Städel, they say, uh, mein Städel, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's my institution. And the Städel belongs to all the citizens in, mm -hmm. in Frankfurt. I think we are on a quite good way. And the, the numbers, the, the friends institution, friends of the museum, they are rising, which is absolutely fantastic. In, in, times like this mm -hmm. um, but what I, I think is important what lies behind it that there are more and more people thinking that they should feel responsible and they care about this institution I think the, the potential of this institution is really uh, is huge and I don't know another institution another museum in Germany which has such a potential and what do you see that this potential? I think that's the, the character of the, um, the collection. Because the most art museums have only art. Mm -hmm. And here we have, as I said, everything. So we've got design objects. We've got objects from Japan, from Asia. From, we've got things like chairs and little jewelry or mm -hmm. something. So it's like like the the vna or the metropolitan but mm -hmm. in a tiny version mm -hmm. so um but that gives us huge freedom in programming and how the and the, the way um we can look at art my impression is that it doesn't really the audience doesn't make a huge difference for them if uh it has an art label on it mm -hmm. um, by an art historian who tells them oh this is really important more important is that the story is good, that the object is interesting, that mm. the, the presentation is, um, it has something to do with me or the life I'm living or something like that. So mm. it was not a coincidence that my first show, I didn't create it, but the idea came, I had the idea to do a car exhibition. Yeah, that was quite controversial in a way. Yes, and I think con uh, it's, it's good if, if there are debates. Mm. Um, if, if they are fair, that's the important thing. Yeah. But I think the, the worst thing which can happen to an institution is that the institution is regarded as boring. Mm. And there's, because boring art is really that no one needs that. And a and, and boring museum, I think, is 
is pointless. I think it's important to do shows and to, to work in a way that not everyone agrees. That's, um, if everyone agrees, you, be, you should ask yourself if you're doing everything right. Yeah, what's going wrong? So I find this comparison with the V&A or the Metropolitan, Metropolitan in a tiny scale, I find that very interesting because I think this is something people don't discuss so much. They, they still discuss it on sort of like the base of it being an art museum. And so um, when I understand you correctly, that you would like to sharpen also the profile of the museum, probably, I ask you that, in a comparison to, we have in Düsseldorf the Kunstsammlung Nordrhein-Westfalia, we have the Kunsthalle, we have the Kunstverein. So there are already a lot of institutions for modern and contemporary art in the city. So you try to also make the, the profile, the different profile of the museum a little bit clearer? Yes, yeah. A museum like the Kunstpalast, I think there's not a second one in Germany. And I think that, that's something we can be proud of and this mm -hmm. is something which give, uh, gives us possibilities to combine things. And you mentioned Canaan. The great thing is we've got Bridget Riley, we've got Gerhard Richter, we've got Rubens and, and other things. Mm -hmm. So very kind of very high quality, very high standard art collection. And but on the other hand, we can combine it with some design objects, with a radio, with, with other things. And we are not limited, and that's another good thing, we're not limited from our collection mm -hmm. um, to Europe. So if people are speaking on um, diversity and how important it is diverse to, to be diverse, our collection is diverse already. Um, already also that it does not only have like white male European artists? Yes, yeah. There's, and, um, but of course, if you look at the collection, the, the kind of classical art collection, then there are a lot of male white artists in it. It's not balanced. But we are working at the moment on a new presentation. And these are aspects where we, of course, we will look at and try to um, do some corrections. Mm -hmm. My feeling was that you really brought a really fresh wind, so to say, a fresh breeze into the museum and into uh, Dusseldorf. Now you're having this big renovation ahead, which will really change the museum. Perhaps you can say a little bit about that. And also just very recently, the NRW Forum um, also became part of the extended museum. So those are two things which I find very interesting. First, the huge rebuild and renovation of the museum. And secondly, uh, the new, um, uh, an action of the NRW Forum. Yes, um, these are, I think, both, both aspects are very important for, for the institution, Kunstpalast. The NRW Forum is a smaller, younger, wilder exhibition place and located directly, maybe 80 meters or something, mm -hmm. um, on the same park ground in the center of Dusseldorf. So, the good thing about the NRW Forum, we call it our wild, younger wild sister, that we can do program there, um, which is um, not as yeah, classic mm -hmm. as, as we do that in the, uh, the Kunstpalast. 
And I compared, again, huge, uh, we are tiny compared, but just to give an understanding, mm-hmm. like the MoMA and PS1. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a similar, but we've got the advantage. It's right, you can see it from our doorstep. Of course, in programming and uh, in, in terms of yeah, the colleagues and, and the staff, it, it makes things much easier that mm-hmm. um, it's, it's under one roof. But I think it's important that the identity of this institution is, isn't harmed. So that, they, that you still, as a visitor, you know they, they belong together, but it has a very different character. Mm-hmm. Um, and this building process you mentioned, that's really, that was the hope when I came to Dusseldorf that, and it, I said that right from the start, that there will, there's a huge need in renovating the building mm-hmm. and not in building new, new exhibition spaces. So we've got enough space. Uh, the institution isn't small. But the problem we had is that we had rooms which you can't enter because there's the fear that they will collapse. Mm-hmm. And we have staircases which are so tiny that they, they look like social housing, but not as they, they don't give you the feeling you're in your, this is the official way through the museum. Mm-hmm. And so, and that just to name very few, there are lots of lots of, of different aspects, but that this building process gives, process gives us the chance to kind of reinvent the institution and to ask yourself what a museum 2020 or 2022 when we reopen again, what, what is important for a museum? What, what, how do we communicate with, uh, with the city and who do we want to address? And um, for example, what we did in the last two years uh, very actively is program for children. Mm-hmm. So we are, the, as far as I can see, the only art museum in Germany, which has an, um, now an internet page web page just for children and we we programmed and invented it with the help of the algo so uh, because we couldn't we wouldn't be able to do such a thing mm. from our staff but then we, we look for partners and uh, or we did an exhibition with artworks from children with covid it was more difficult because this suddenly the schools closed 30 eight classes took part. So there, there were uh, hundreds of children participated in, in this exhibition. And I'm, I'm convinced that the children then, they will remember, they will remember mm-hmm. that if they're adults, they will remember that they had an artwork in that museum on the wall. And um, this is maybe for Britain or, or Holland or maybe even the US, things like that are more common. In Germany, it's still rather unusual. No, and it, it shapes the future for, for the museum and for those children because in 20 years, as you said, they will remember in the rebuild of the museum, there will be a new cafe, which will also open up the museum more to the city society because it's not just an in-museum cafe. It's kind of like the connection between the, as to say, like normal city and the museum. Yes, and I, I think this... The idea really is that people, we've got a beautiful courtyard and it's one of yeah. the nicest places in, in Dusseldorf. And at the moment, it's a little bit neglected. Mm-hmm. 
and the, the problem is you've got this, which is really nice, you've got the fountain, and um, so sitting there, especially when it's sunny, although you're right in the city, you don't hear any cars, so it's, it's a very kind of very special place. The current situation, it's not possible to, to drink a cafe, to, to eat something, and mm. that's going to change. And I think my aim really is that people come to our courtyard not because they want to look at an exhibition. I'm happy if they do so. I'm equally happy if, if they just kind of make this place to their place, that they just go there because they know they can spend their um, a good time and so there are positive memories connected to our building the surrounding and I'm, I'm pretty sure that you then will of course have a look at the what's inside potentially mm-hmm. I like the V&A very much and I like their courtyards yeah and you can just enter there and the children are playing in the water and it has something kind of very relaxed and I think in, in Germany it would be good that museums are a bit more relaxed and um, that there's, the museum is a place where life happens. And not, it's not, we're not working in a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, um, that would be lovely. <laughs> yeah. We know all that COVID changed a lot for the museums, um, that you have to work a little bit differently now. One thing I would like to ask you, the outlook on the next years you'll be shaping the museum. So are there any plans you can reveal? And also what is your personal vision? What is your wish actually how the museum develops? If you listen to interviews with directors, they always say we have to open up. That's mm-hmm. kind of every, every director will tell you. Um, they, they want an open institution. And I... And <laughs> Of course, I want an open institution as well. But I think we have to, what does that mean, being open? And looking at society, we have to realize that the huge majority of people live a happy life without ever entering a museum. Mm. And because the classical we, art world, it's, it's a minority. We are a small minority, kind of. And I think it's important to do exhibitions for the true art lovers. And we're, we're doing exhibitions in this kind of classical field as well. But I think it's important as well to think of people who normally don't visit a museum. And to be able to try to to get them that they they suddenly interested and the car exhibition was such an example Mm. where we had loads of people coming in and they didn't know how a museum worked a lot of them haven't been to a museum before and we are working now on on, again on exhibitions or we did the peter lindbergh show now Mm -hmm. which was incredibly successful with although we have COVID, and we had far over 100,000 visitors. And we had queues in front of our building, whilst other institutions, it's uh, kind of the classical, and we, we experienced that as well, that the, the kind of the classical art exhibitions is, is much, much more difficult. But in, in someone who shaped society like Peter did, as a photographer, as a fashion photographer, 
And uh, again, that we had a, long, a very young audience, uh, which is lovely to see that they suddenly, if you've got the right offer, people then, then, then they, they get interested and I'm pretty sure they will come again. Mm-hmm. Although, as you mentioned, you, you might be criticized by doing a car exhibition or show on fashion or fashion photography or working with curators together who might be not the classical curators. I think it's, um, you should be curious and see what, how the, the, the result is and not so narrow-minded to believe that an art museum should function in a certain way and everything else is evil. Let's try it out. Mm-hmm. And see what happens. Are there enough art museums in Germany uh, which function in a classical way? I think there's no reason why we should behave like that as well. Very good. I think thinking out of the box is sometimes very helpful. There is one question which goes a little bit back. You said, yeah, why to function in the classical way? I would like to know a little bit more about, is this also the reason why you um, invited people from outside to uh, curate an exhibition like Empört Euch? Because this is an exhibition, is that for the art audience or is this also for the other audience? Because I think this is kind of in between. Maybe I, I wasn't precise because... Of course, there's the, the art audience and the other audience, but of course it overlaps. There's something in between as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but empört euch, I think, as I said, I, I'm not creating single exhibitions anymore, but what I'm creating is the program of the whole museum. And the empört euch exhibition, which is a show with political... Um, art which takes position mm-hmm. and is uh, wants to change things so it's a kind of very radical loud and direct art which is um, seen in this exhibition and we are showing this exhibition at the same time with Caspar David Friedrich so an artist from 19th century who's very popular in, in Germany and is regarded kind of a, a little bit of a national symbol. So if, if you ask a German, tell me, can, can you name me one famous artist from the 19th century? I'm pretty sure most people who are interested in art, they'll tell, they will name you Caspar David Friedrich. That's mm-hmm. the name. We, we are expecting that kind of a very kind of classical museum audience in, in, this, in that exhibition. So presenting at the same time a show with political art and very edgy art, there's just one ticket, you can buy one ticket. So you have the the chance then to to see both exhibitions. You don't have to, but it's it's kind of easy because they're in the same building um, located very close to each other. So my hope is that someone who buys his ticket for Caspar David Friedrich maybe we'll have a look at the contemporary and the other way around as well. And what I'm trying to give a feeling for um, is that the Caspar David Friedrich, he was contemporary. People Mm -hmm. always forget Mm -hmm. if you look at old art, but he, he was young and he was political and in a very difficult time, Napoleon was, was in Germany, they kind of, 
it wasn't it wasn't easy at that time and they took huge risks as as artists at that time and and they they were freaks but looking at it today people just look at old paintings and they're not aware that this is contemporary as well yes and so so i i like this combination we always look very carefully what can we place together and is there a deeper meaning to it for example with peter lindberg we just had we had angelica kaufmann Mm-hmm. Peter Lindbergh is famous for his woman portraits and for the strong, strong female characters in his photos. Angelika Kaufmann from the 18th century was the most famous female artist of her time. Mm-hmm. And she, she was a very strong character and fascinating biography. So bringing two things together, which from, from the outside, first you, you think, well, where's the connection? Why do they correspond? But there's a subtext beneath it, which makes sense in programming these things together. Yeah. It's not, not just coincidence. We work on things like that really, really kind of hard. So Caspar David Friedrich and the very contemporary Empört euch exhibition, the political exhibition also about anger, is much more connected than one would think, yes. uh, which I find really, really interesting. And both are going to be opening in October. Yes. So we see you there, I guess. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much for, uh, for the time and to talk to you and until very soon. Thanks. For more Voices on Art, go to van-horn.net and follow us on Instagram at Voices on Art and at Van Horn Düsseldorf. Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect. <laughs>